bringing you unique perspectives from inside the world of addiction and mental health recovery. This is Recovery Unscripted. Hi guys, welcome to this episode of Recovery Unscripted. I'm David Condos, and this podcast is powered by Foundations Recovery Network. Today, my guest is Dr. Melissa Lee Warner from Black Bear Lodge, a residential treatment program in North Georgia where she serves as a medical director. She joined me to discuss how they use a symptom-based approach to help each patient face the unique challenges that various substances present during detox. She also illuminates the complex intersection of chronic pain, addiction, mental health, and the non-intoxicating techniques that can set patients up for long-term recovery. Now, here's Dr. Warner. I'm here with Melissa Lee Warner. Thank you for your time today. Oh, glad to join you, Dave. Yeah, well, let's start by having you tell us a bit about your personal story and how you got started in the world of medicine. Okay. Um, I'm an addiction medicine specialist, and so that means all of my time in my career is about uh, treating addiction and different aspects of things that go along with addiction. I was actually in the in the Navy for a brief period of time. I okay. always want to thank the taxpayers because... Um, Back in the uh, early 80s, taxpayers' dollars paid for a scholarship for me to go to medical school. And then from there, I I did work in the Navy for a few years. Um, But after that, I was in a family medicine residency and realized that family medicine was not going to be the job for me, uh, at least not in a family practice office. And um, I hadn't figured out what I would do, but in my last year, uh, some synchronicity came together and I had some extra elective time because I had had done an internship while I was in the Navy. And so I went to a family medicine colleague for a rotation in addiction medicine at an addiction treatment center. I didn't know anything about it prior to then, and it was uh, quite fascinating and interesting. And while I was there, they asked what I like to do their fellowship since I knew I didn't want to do family medicine and I didn't have any other plans. <laughs> might, might as well give it a try, yeah. Right. And so that that was it. I did that fellowship and then actually I worked there for several years and it's been addiction medicine and working in residential addiction treatment centers for over 25 years now. Yeah. And for anyone who's not familiar with Black Bear, how would you sum up kind of the overall philosophy uh, or, or the mission you have there? Um, it's to do evidence-based best practices of addiction medicine to develop you know, lifetime relationships for long-term recovery. We meet people where they are without judgment. We know that anybody can get sober. It doesn't matter how many times they've tried or not tried in the past. We work towards internally motivating them to see why they'd like to do it. Yeah, recovery is definitely possible. So whenever someone is starting their recovery journey in treatment, uh, physically cleansing the body through detox is the first step. So from a medical perspective, could you tell us about how you approach detox at Black Bear and how you meet the different challenges uh, that different types of drugs can present during that phase? Um, sure. Treating alcohol withdrawal for many, many uh, medical providers who aren't even addiction medicine specialists is probably 
not all that complicated or, or difficult to do. Uh, on the other hand, treating um, benzodiazepine withdrawal uh, really does involve some expertise. And so the benzodiazepines are more commonly today, we see Xanax or Clonopin, other medicines that are similar to that. Ambien is one a lot of people uh, become addicted to. Back in the other olden days, it was Valium, Librium, they're all benzodiazepines. And the withdrawal from these medicines isn't just over in a few days, like alcohol withdrawal or prescription pain pill withdrawal, um, but can linger on for weeks and months and be fairly debilitating. So kind of knowing the significance, you know, taking an approach that allows kind of the adequate use of long-acting sedatives in the beginning period of time, phenobarbital is the name of the sedative that we use primarily, uh, adding to that medications that can help once they're off of the phenobarbital over that, you know, the ensuing number of months to reduce the withdrawal symptoms, these kind of things can be interesting and, and complicated and a problem if for people who aren't aware of that. Yeah, so they maybe don't expect it to be that long of a process? Yeah, most medical providers would have no idea, uh, sometimes even addiction medical providers don't recognize what some folks are at, at risk for. When someone is detoxing from opioids, uh, how, how do you approach that at Black Bear? So, for a long time, you know, even though we use sedative for sedative withdrawal, we have not in medicine been technically allowed to use an opioid for opioid withdrawal. Mm-hmm. You can give someone with opiate addiction an opiate to treat pain, but you can't treat opioid withdrawal with an opioid. So that left pretty much methadone as the only opioid that could be used for withdrawal. To have uh, methadone at your treatment center, you have to have all kinds of special things and special arrangements and special dispensing and safes. And so very few centers in the country had or have methadone in their addiction treatment center. So that meant that all of us that are old enough grew up using a symptom-based approach. And that symptom-based approach often included the blood pressure medicine clonidine because it's very helpful for withdrawal, particularly opioid withdrawal and also tobacco withdrawal for that matter, combined with a sedative like phenobarbital. Another one we will use sometimes would be Valium, some combination of those two medicines and then other medicines that help. So you're doing that kind of in response to the symptoms that they're showing? Right. So that's the symptom-based approach. So in addition, you know, muscle relaxants for uh, restless and muscle spasm, you know, stomachs for abdominal cramping, um, diarrhea, vomiting, nausea, anxiety, all those different sorts of things. What does the blood pressure medicine do? Clonidine, it literally helps the withdrawal. The clonidine is what we call centrally acting. In other words, the way it helps blood pressure is is in the brain itself. Because of that, the fact that it's centrally acting, that it also offers a benefit for withdrawal. It also has an anti-anxiety benefit, and so we use it sometimes uh, for that, not as a uh, long-term solution for anxiety, but short-term. It also has analgesic properties, which means pain-relieving properties. So clonidine might also become part of a treatment strategy for someone with chronic pain. So it has a variety of benefits. Yeah, and those are all just kind of side benefits uh, of this blood pressure medication, right? Yes, yeah, so we're almost never using it for blood yeah. pressure, actually, <laughs> it, in addiction medicine. So, yeah. Um, I've read that another one of your specialties is the intersection between chronic pain and addiction. 
let's have you start this part of the conversation by uh, defining what chronic pain means and uh, and describing some of its components. Um, chronic pain has a fairly simple definition, um, and it's it's general and it can apply to anything. But that essentially, someone is having ongoing pain. the The source of the pain often is not as important as the chronic nature of it. The idea uh, when we call something chronic pain is that any other remedy that might have been tried to resolve the pain is not going to work. So whether that was surgery or you know that sort of thing. So the idea is that this is going to be an ongoing situation for someone, in which case the treatment of chronic pain tends to be more about increasing function and participation. And it would be unrealistic to think that someone with chronic pain, that what was going to happen is their pain would go away. I saw in the presentation that you gave on this at the Recovery Results Conference, you described some of the uh, broader factors that can influence how the body and mind perceive pain. Uh, what what are some of those factors, and and how do they affect chronic pain? So probably the top two things that affect the experience of pain, and of course they again have to do with the central nervous system, because you know even if you've cut your finger, the place you experience that is in your brain. Sure. Two things that we reach for first to address when someone has chronic pain are sleep. Inadequate sleep is a major factor that's going to magnify the pain experience. And so a lot of what we're going to do is work towards you know, getting good sleep. Second factor kind of coming in right after that is mood. Anxiety, depression, irritability, those things also dramatically magnify the experience of pain. Um, but the idea is that you're not going to get anywhere with chronic pain generally if someone has addiction active and ongoing. The active addiction in a variety of ways really interferes with the ability to successfully treat chronic pain. In fact, we've seen over and over and over again that when people get into recovery from whatever kind of addiction they had, that some of the very same pain management modalities that had truly offered them no benefit whatsoever. And again, it could be any number of things from a, an interventional thing or a medication that absolutely did not work while addiction was active. The very same thing uh, is effective once they're in recovery as part of a pain management program. Hmm. Yeah. And do we know why that is? It, I think it relates to the factors, you know, again, in the central nervous system and, and what's happening in the brain. You know, I mean, when, when someone's in active addiction, you know, there's withdrawal, there's anxiety, there's sleep. I mean, there are just many, many, many things that are almost eclipsing the, the nervous system's ability to take care of other things. So as you brought up, uh, addiction can often come into play because people are naturally looking for some relief from their pain. So could you describe why uh, chronic pain and drug dependence are often so intertwined and, and how that plays out? Well, all of the compounds that people could be addicted to, which I use the term intoxicating compounds, offer that sort of euphoria or that high whether they're a stimulant or a sedative or an opioid, which all kind of act differently. But the other thing they have in common is 
anesthesia. They're numbing. And so people will reach for human beings, not just people with addiction, but human beings might reach for beverage alcohol to help numb mm-hmm. the pain of their depression. Now, alcohol is a depressant, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know the fact that it at least gives some temporary pain relief to the pain of depression, You know, we see people reaching for alcohol for that reason. For chronic pain, people may have inadvertently begun using intoxicating compounds to get relief. Mm-hmm. So the, the factors that often are at play when someone develops addiction are underlying genetics very, very, very large factor. So that somewhere in their family tree and their own personal genetics, they have some sort of vulnerability to develop addiction. We're not able to tell sort of, you know, if we take a family of people with addiction, who's going to have the higher or lower vulnerability, we just know that they'll have probably three times the vulnerability of people that don't have addiction in their family tree. And then some sort of a stressor. And so obviously if we're talking about pain, pain is a very significant stressor. And then have intoxicating medications been prescribed, you know, a benzodiazepine or an opioid. And that's the recipe right there. The intoxicating compound, the stressor, uh, and the genetic uh, susceptibility. Yeah, and, and as you said, once the act of addiction takes hold, it can really alter the experience of pain. It can, it can block out a lot of the ways that you otherwise would try to help. Right. It's going to both magnify and interfere with uh, treatment. Could you describe a specific example of that? So um, opioids for people that don't have uh, a susceptibility to addiction, opioid pain medication is a pretty typical and acceptable choice for acute pain. You had your appendix out, you're going to need something to help for a few days. Uh, But when it comes to chronic pain, opioids sometimes can actually magnify the pain. That's, you may have heard, that's called hyperalgesia. You know, so opioids are not actually a good choice. There are a number of other reasons they're not, but literally we've had folks who it was as simple as getting them off the opioids without instituting any other pain management approaches. And and it's never that the pain or the source of the pain wasn't real or wasn't, you know, true pathology. It's about the body's ability to mediate it with the person's own neurotransmitters and that sort of thing. Related to this, uh, as you mentioned, opioids not only don't help the chronic pain, but of course can lead to addiction and and in some cases even make the pain worse, like you said. Uh, So what are some of the non-addictive or non-intoxicating options for managing chronic pain that you've seen success with? We are going to start with things like optimizing sleep and treating mood and that sort of thing. Um, Then there are other medicines that can be helpful uh, for chronic pain, even though you wouldn't think of them as pain medicines. Mm -hmm. You may have seen Cymbalta on television. Mm -hmm. Uh, Serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor, they're medicines that can treat anxiety and depression. Because of the norepinephrine component that it affects in your body, that's helpful for chronic pain. Cymbalta can be helpful for pain even if someone doesn't have a mood disturbance. The vast majority of our patients at Black Bear do have a mood disturbance. So it's, we're 
regularly using one medication for two or three benefits when we're choosing medications. We may be getting a mood benefit, a sleep benefit, a pain benefit, a withdrawal benefit. So that's kind of part of the the art and science of the practice of addiction medicine. Wellbutrin, which is a medicine that only treats depression, it's also a medicine that can treat tobacco addiction. And uh, Wellbutrin can be helpful for pain management also, uh, even if someone wasn't suffering with depression. So again, sort of many benefits depending on the medication. Cool, yeah. And what are some other non-medicinal, maybe more holistic ways uh, that you can help someone with chronic pain? Oh, I would tell you that the number one thing that is incredibly effective for pain management is ice. Wow, really? Not kidding. I mean, if you put some ice on something for 20 minutes, it will become completely numb. Uh, It actually can bring helpful blood flow to the area. It can reduce inflammation if that's part of what's going on. But yeah, generally we're using a lot of non-medication approaches. We do trigger point injections right at Black Bear Lodge. Mm -hmm. People with chronic pain, depending on kind of where it is and if it has a musculoskeletal component, will have sort of areas of muscle spasm and irritation and connective tissue distress, and trigger point injections can relax that. Uh, There are things like e-stim, which is an electrical stimulation where you put those pads on. Uh, Those things can be incredibly beneficial and and usually are actually all that someone needs because once you're treating the addiction and looking at some of these other things, I would say 85% of the time, patients we've treated with true, serious, and significant chronic pain don't need much more than that. And then there's a subset of 15% who may need additional more specific or intensive modalities, but very much the exception to the rule. The huge piece is getting into recovery from addiction that begins to bring the pain relief. I assume it all comes back to the mind, too, in someone's mental health. And I I know you guys do some experiential therapies at Black Bear. Uh, How have you seen some of those options help? Yes, um, mindfulness as an approach and meditation or mindful meditation are very potent for pain management as well as a number of other things that they're helpful for. It sort of brings you into the reality of what is simply happening from a pain standpoint in the moment as opposed to all the overlying things of fear and projection, you know, that you sort of let them go away and you just become in the moment where the discomfort is is manageable. All right. Well, I just have one last question. Uh, Everyone who serves in this field has their own reasons uh, for wanting to further the cause of behavioral mental health. Uh, So could we end by having you sum up why helping people find recovery is important to you? First of all, because it is so possible. Second of all, because so many, many, many people are affected. I mean, this is over, leaving out tobacco addiction, just the other drug addictions, we're talking about over 10% of the population. And even worse than that is the fact that in, in the United States anyway, we've taken an incredibly ineffective approach, which is criminalizing addiction. And I'm not sure if you're familiar, but the statistics have been very clear that 75 to 85% of people in our criminal justice system are really people with addiction and that incarceration and, and those sort of things do not help people get sober. Drug court helps, treatment helps, drug court helps people get into treatment. So, you know, my heart is in it for a lot of those reasons. 
I think my spirit is in it because part of what we see is that some incredibly broken, near-death individuals, when they get into recovery and get into long-term recovery, often go on to have a better quality of life than they have ever had. And there's no other chronic progressive genetically mediated potentially fatal illness in medicine that I'm aware of where that is the case. That's cool even thinking about it in a strictly medical perspective it still has better potential so so when you say recovery is possible you really mean that even compared to other medical conditions. Sure and of course we're not resourced anywhere where we need to be. It is possible that 95 percent of people who need addiction treatment are not getting it because they don't have the resources. All right. Hi, well, Dr. Warner, thank you for your time. Oh, well, thanks for asking me. It was a nice surprise. Thanks again to Dr. Warner for joining us. Now I get to welcome back Stephanie Spann, National Race Director for the 6K Run Walk Series put on by Heroes in Recovery, a grassroots movement that brings together communities across the country to celebrate life in recovery. So welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Very well, very well. Thank you for joining us again, uh, as we often do, talking about heroes in recovery. Uh, but let's uh, first, let's have you start by summing up kind of the overall mission uh, of heroes and, and what they're all about. So our mission at Heroes in Recovery is to break the stigma associated with addiction and mental health disorders. We do host 6Ks around the country, and that's our celebration, celebrating those that have come through recovery and also bringing awareness to the industry and also that we're here as a message of hope. Yeah, absolutely. And bringing everyone together for these 6K races. And I know you have two big ones coming up this month in California, uh, starting with this weekend in San Diego. Can, can you tell us about that race? This weekend is our fourth annual Heroes in Recovery in San Diego, and it's hosted at De Anza Cove Park. Um, it's a gorgeous run right along the water. We are so excited to be back this year. And we've moved it to April this year as a kickoff for our Innovations in Recovery conference. Yeah, absolutely. We had Jordan Young on the show talking about the conference uh, a couple weeks ago. So yeah, that'll be awesome. I know San Diego is beautiful this time of year. And then uh, you have another race in Orange County coming up uh, a couple weeks after that. So April 21st, we have the third annual Orange County Heroes and Recovery 6K. And that one is at Miles Square Park. It's a very flat course, very beautiful course right through the park there. Um, Partly paved, partly grass, but it's a gorgeous course. And we're so excited to be going back this year. Cool. Yeah, well, that sounds awesome. And then I know you guys have launched the virtual runner option uh, that, you, that you talked about last time you were on the podcast. Uh, so anyone, no matter where they live, uh, no matter if they can make it to an actual race, can be a, a part of this, right? So uh, t- tell us more about that now that it's officially launched. Yeah, so now that we've launched it, we can talk more about it. We're so excited. If you go to heroesandrecovery.com, if you click on the Hero 6K, there's a virtual 6K button. You click on that to register. We have six different levels that people can participate at. Uh, they Um, are welcome to participate no matter where they live and they have up until the end of 2018 to actually get those miles in and we do mail the packets at the end of each month so people can participate whenever is convenient for them but definitely can help us break that stigma and share the word so the prices range for virtuals from $20 to $110 and the $110 package is amazing where you get a full lineup of a medal a bib a bag, a magnet, you get your race shirt, some brand new performance socks that we just got this week, branded tumbler, a hat, 
headband and we do have a limited edition tank in there too so um that's kind of what we call the the ultimate hero package all right well that sounds great thank you again for joining us today thank you for having me this has been the recovery unscripted podcast today we've heard from melissa lee warner of black bear lodge if you'd like to talk with an admissions coordinator about the treatment options at Black Bear and other foundations programs, please call anytime at 855-823-2141. They can answer your questions and help you get started. See you next time.